listening to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, hey there, how you doing? Welcome to the show, July 18, 2019. <sighs> Did that qualify as a sigh? I'm not sure. I think it was just a, it was just a, a, a normal exhalation of, of breath, I swear. Uh, I guess I'm going to start every show with the same thing, steal thyself. Oh, God, my nose. And pace thyself. Um, I don't know. And I mean that so sincerely. I don't know. I wish I did. I wish somebody really did know the right thing to do to get rid of this man and to start turning our country around. I don't know if it's possible. And as I've said before, I don't know what the right tactics are. My inclinations are that My inclinations tend to be more moderate than, for instance, the squad. Uh, I think they are a potential real problem <laughs> in terms of how they are going to be used, exploited by, made to look like the face of the Democratic Party. So if you elect whatever... Democrat runs, these are the, this is what you're going to get. You can say Trump is an idiot, I've said it. You can say, I, I, I don't know if it's just intuitive with him, but again, don't sell him short. I think we see where he's going. It's ugly. It is racist misogynistic it is incredible how if you think about it he and his base have always required either a woman or a person of color to get their energies they need to hate a designated woman or person of color in order to so it was Hillary lock her up and uh, to a certain extent it was Pelosi <coughs> She was one of the women he was always trotting out uh, to talk about scary people, although he never went full throttle on her. And now he's found his his target. It's mostly going to be the dark woman born in Africa. 
Muslim. Never see her hair. She wears strange things on her head. It's going to be Ilhan Omar. And frankly, um, I think she'll uh, do very well for his purposes. And every time, all the time that we spend, I'm not sure about this, but it seems like our circling the wagons around her and the squad only serves his purposes of defining what the Democratic Party is. Never mind that they are, they represent a minority of the party, without a doubt. They are to the left of most Democrats. I don't know. The real <coughs> concerns that um, he could get her killed. I think these are reasonable concerns uh, to stoke the hate, to disseminate the lies about her. I don't know if you uh, saw that he floated the idea yesterday, I believe, that she married her brother. Yeah. He said something like, I don't know, but I've heard, which is how he will always, uh, you know, put something out there that has absolutely no factual backing. Yeah, I've heard she married her brother. Man, by the time he's done with her, she will be unrecognizable as a fellow human being, which is the idea. Send her back. What is it with the power of three words? Lock her up. Send her back. Three words. The middle one, her, always. The target, a woman. This time he got a twofer. A woman and a person of color. Lock her up. Send her back. And where did it come from, send her back? Um, did it spontaneously arise from that crowd? Who started that? Plants throughout the, because this is, they would want something nice and easy, like a bumper sticker, lock her up, send her back. And this is what we're going to be hearing now until election day. A year and a half. I just don't know. If he gets reelected, we're done. This country's done for. It's just done. It's irretrievably uh, broken.
It's a pretty short run. How old are we? We're not even 300 years old. Jeez, I mean, you look at most countries of the world, or certainly the the European ones, and uh, man, 300 years, that's like a blink. I wonder if we'll even show up in the history books. Blink. Remember first time you heard that this country was some kind of experiment? First time you heard that in a in a schoolroom, a noble experiment, something that had never been done. And how proud we were about that. And how proud we were of our documents, uh, the paper that we base this country on, its promise. Not always met, certainly, but a great, great goal to shoot for. And I always took comfort in the fact that little by little by little we moved forward in my lifetime, in your lifetime. We move forward. I don't know much, but I <clears throat> I do know that it's very hard to fight um, a fight against an opponent who plays by no rules, none. Where truth, psh, what's that? Where nothing matters but winning. Where collateral damage can be other human beings, can be the very nation itself. How do you fight people who have no scruples, no shame? No conscience. How do you fight them without becoming them? We're reminded of who we maybe could be and who we used to be as a nation. And the cynical amongst us need to take it in by the passing of a great American, Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens. He is the kind of American that the Founding Fathers would have been proud of. He understood their aims, their values. He was honorable. He listened. He was open. He was never seen to be angry never took somebody disagreeing with him or taking a pot shot at him as Antonin Scalia often did. 
not being quite the man that Stevens was. He never took it personally. And here we now are being taught by the president and by others that honor is <laughs> for, I guess, idiots, that anger is the greatest motivator there is, that hatred and vilification of your fellow man and woman is fine as a political tactic and also as a way, I guess, just to live your life. Amazing. John Paul Stevens, wasn't that long ago, within my lifetime, I saw this. A Republican president nominated him to the Supreme Court. It didn't even take two weeks. And he was signed off on, confirmed by the Senate of the United States, unanimously. Can you imagine? Democrats voted for him. Republicans voted for him. They only, during his confirmation, asked questions about, I don't know, they didn't have the litmus tests. They just needed to know if he was qualified, if he was a known as a judicious man. And he was. All of that seems like a fairy a fairy tale now. That is when our government functioned, when we were not at each other's throats, when honor meant something, when public service meant something, when ideology did not mean as much. He was chosen for his ability, not for his politics. He was a Republican. And I think it was about 10 years ago, six years ago in an interview, he pushed back on the idea that he had become liberal during his tenure. He said, I don't think of myself as liberal. I am a conservative. shows how far off track we've gotten. Gerald Ford, when he nominated him, said he was the finest, I, all I was looking for was the finest legal mind I could find. And you could make the case he found the guy. Not too many years later, I recall George H.W. Bush saying the same thing. I am only seeking the finest judicial mind 
I can find, and I have found him. Clarence Thomas. And I remember howling when he said it, because it was a lie. Nobody thought Clarence Thomas had the finest legal mind, but he checked off all the right boxes on the political litmus test. John Paul Stevens. He dissented in Citizens United. He was appalled by Bush versus Gore that gave Junior the White House and gave us an Iraq war. He was appalled by Brett Kavanaugh and his outbursts during his confirmation hearings. It was easier to be proud of the United States then. And that wasn't all that long ago, not in my sense of time. How far we've come. Yes, and Milton uh, uh, tells us two interesting things. Uh, uh, his confirmation hearing uh, was not televised as they are now, but it was the last time uh, that uh, a confirmation hearing for a, a Supreme Court justice uh, was not televised. And I suspect that the, telev the fact that television came in made, made it more political immediately because then the senators in their questions started scoring points with their bases, right? It could be said that transparency, supposedly, in this case, televising it, but giving the senators on the Justice Committee a platform, a televised platform, and given their egos, that that would begin to add to the politicization, a word I can never say, of the process. Also, he was the first justice nominated after Roe v. Wade became law and abortion became legal. So you had that, I think it was two years before, because he, he came on the court in 75, Roe v. Wade was 73. And this might strike some as incredible, but he did not get one question on where he would stand on abortion. Not a single question.
The only question is, are you capable? Are you capable of hearing opposing views of not allowing your own political biases to get get in the way of making a decision based on law? And that is why a hundred senators voted. He's good to go. But that's not the question anymore, is it? And that's why our court is now tainted. We have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hello there. Hey. Hey, uh, who came up with the uh, idea of the squad? I don't know. I mean, so some, you know, we're into, no, they did, the women themselves started calling themselves the squad. So they, they branded themselves. You have to have eight people to have a squad. No, I agree. I don't, I don't like it either. (laughs) Well, I don't like it either. I think it's silly, but it allowed, boy, it sure plays, sure plays into Trump's hands. Because it's a one word now that conjures an image of these, you know, commie, dark-skinned, young pups yeah. from God knows where who are going to destroy the country. Right. It, it, it's... <laughs> but, and then I wanted to say, um, Trump's always touting, he's always bragging about the economy, and how the greatest in history, and all that bull... How come the Democrats, for one thing, last, not this past month, it was 220 or something. But the past the month before that was like 70,000 or something. How could that number go from 70,000 to 220,000? I think the guy plays with the numbers. I really do. I think there's pretty soon he's going to catch up with him, and pretty soon you're going to see all these bad months come along. I don't I know. I think no. the economy's slowing down, which I'm not wishing it will, but I think it is. And Obama had better averages than him, why aren't the Democrats saying, listen, dumbass, Obama had these, his numbers were just better than yours. And he brags that he has the greatest economy, nobody challenges him on it. Well, he'll be able to run on the economy when he r- runs this time because he's he will have been president for four years and that gives him claim to the economy. He c- certainly couldn't claim... Uh, in the, his first year, that that was his economy, that was Obama's, but uh, now he reasonably, I suspect, can. Um, look, I don't know if from the economy. I think another big bubble is starting up, and I also think, oh, I also think that if you economy, look at these so jobs, really all these it. job numbers you're seeing, we know what kind of jobs they are. A lot of them are crap. Right. They are just crap. And I'll tell you another thing. I know people with college educations and graduate school uh, diplomas who are working two and three of these wonderful jobs and don't have benefits with any of them. This is not an economy for anybody but the rich. She had to take a pay cut. The jobs aren't out there. It's not out there. For him to, and that's where I think he's not, they feel, well, he's going to win because of the economy. I don't think so, because I don't think people are really happy with the economy, other than the rich. Now, there are these middle class people who are doing pretty good. 
that group's always there. Maybe government jobs, or I don't know. You know, certain jobs that you're in different positions, they do pretty well. Listen, but I, I think it's a crappy economy. I, I do. Well, you know, I uh, we all see the economy through our own experience of it. And so when people go to the polls, they'll, they don't need people telling them the economy is great. You know in your own household, in your own life, whether it's great or not. And so I, I don't think the numbers are uh, a driver. It is uh, the reality well, the of how zero, people and feel. It still wouldn't matter. Oh, okay. Thank you for your call. Okay, thank you. Bye. Um. Tom Friedman, who is a moderate sort, of which I increasingly am myself, um, said this because he's worried that the Democrats are going to lose this, sure, slam dunk election. And he says, dear Democrats, this is not complicated. Just nominate a decent, sane person. One committed to reuniting the country and creating more good jobs. <coughs> a person who can gain the support of independence and suburban women who abandoned Donald Trump. He also adds moderate Republicans. I don't think that is uh, even a classification now that makes any sense. No one can be a moderate and uh, and be a member of the Republican Party as it exists and for what it stands for now. There are no moderates in the Republican Party. None. And if there are none, they're a bunch of uh, neo... <laughs> Never mind, I won't, I just... He goes on to say that what happened in the midterms can happen again for the Democrats. But he says, please, spare me the revolution. And I agree. The revolution can wait. The revolution must wait. Win the presidency. So what I was saying before, all the people who are always so intent on changing things overnight don't understand how people's heads work, how our governmental structures function, can't be done. All the progress we make, you make incrementally in this country. You don't turn over the table and get anywhere. And right now people are up to here with the chaos. So don't bring more chaos to the table. Bring sanity. Bring decency. Bring moderation. He says the left wants a revolution now. The squad wants a revolution now. 
he says, I'll give you a revolution four more years of Donald Trump. Because if the Democrats go too far off and if Trump can tar the entire party with statements from the most left of the Democratic caucus, then we could be in trouble. America is a conservative to moderate kind of a nation. It is. That's my sense. And again, I might be wrong. I don't know. Maybe AOC and Ilan Omar and the squad know better than I, but I suspect not. Because I remember being young, <laughs> and I'm smarter now. I'm smarter now. And I'm more patient now. So if there is a generational divide going on here, um, I'm with the older crowd, I think. Even though I have great feeling of sisterhood with these young women. Uh, for the caller, Milton has sent this. Trump entered office, uh, has been president, working back from Jan Obama's last one. Okay, th there have been. Uh, Trump created, has not created uh, as many jobs as Obama did. Um, he's got all the numbers here, but it's. Uh, that uh, Trump trails Obama by about a million jobs at this point. And let us remember that <laughs> Trump was given a burgeoning economy, as Republicans always are, by the Democrats when the Democrats leave office. And Obama was given an economy in tatters, which is what always happens when Republicans hand off their wondrous handiwork to the poor beleaguered Democrat who got elected, who spends his entire first two, three years trying to fix the mess. You know, I was reminded of that last night, doing my thing of watching old movies. Man alive, have you ever seen Grapes of Wrath? This movie is so germane to our time now. Because that's a movie that showed what happened after Republicans held national power for decades. The Great Depression happened. 
Americans became refugees in their own country. There were caravans of desperate people in our country then, too. They were born here. Many of them thrown off the land that had been in their families for decades and decades and generations and generations because the banks took them over. Because they couldn't make their payments. Because there was this cataclysm called the Depression. On top of that, the Dust Bowl, the drought. And before they showed the film, the introduction from the moderator was mind-blowing because it was if he needed to warn the audience. Clearly, somebody said, you better warn the audience or we're going to get a lot of angry emails. So Ben Mankiewicz, who's doing this introduction, says something like, now, in this movie, you're going to be hearing a lot of stuff that's very anti-capitalism. And you have to remember that these were different times. This is pre-Cold War. And so a movie made almost a hundred years ago, 80 years ago, has to be introduced in the country today with a trigger warning to people that they were going to hear desperate American refugees in the Dust Bowl talking crap about capitalism that threw them off their homes, that sent them packing, that tried to break up every effort they made to unionize, to scrounge a living for their families. This movie shows that America has always been capable of extraordinary cruelty. You see in the movie these people, these refugees in America, American refugees in America. It shows how the bankers and the ranchers screwed them, stole from them, took their labor and paid them nothing. And this movie is history. Didn't make it up. It's history. And you see the, the commie baiting, the same stuff that we're seeing Trump do and the Republicans do now. They're commies, right? They're commies. There's a line in which Henry Fonda, playing the lead character, Tom Joad, 
says, what is this? Every time you turn around, somebody's calling you a red. And then another guy who's killed by the police says, talking about the unfairness of it, he says, how come one guy can have a million acres and you got a thousand farmers starving? So, you watch a movie like that made in what? I think 1939, 1940. Nominated for an Academy Award. You, you are reminded of what Republicans in cahoots with capitalists invariably do. And it is amazing that the people of this country allow them to do it again and again and again. Case in point, <coughs> while you weren't looking, as you know, Alex Acosta is no longer the labor secretary, so he has been replaced by, of course, an acting secretary, a guy named Patrick Pizzella. And Patrick Pizzella, all you need to know about him is he has spent his whole life working to roll back worker protections and workers' rights. And this is who Republicans put in charge of the department of our government that is supposed to protect workers. I want to remind you that tomorrow marks the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 missions landing on the moon. And if you haven't watched that CNN thing, I think it's on again Saturday night or it's on demand, Apollo 11, please do. It is all uh, documentary, it's all real footage, it's mind-blowingly good. It's part of our history that you can be proud of. And the thing you realize when you reacquaint yourself with that extraordinary event is how dangerous it was. They were attempting to do something so audacious 
something that had never been done before. So one little error. And those men would have been left on the moon to die. So even with the triumph of them landing, of Armstrong's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, they were not assured of getting back to earth. There's a thing in it that is so mind-blowing. As they're sitting atop this extraordinarily huge Atlas rocket about to leave the earth, perhaps forever, their pulses, their heart rates are being monitored. And I remember thinking, how embarrassing to have your pulse be monitored when you're sitting on top of a rocket (laughs) about to be blown into God knows what. I mean, and I just want you to know, Buzz Aldrin, my hero, the second man to step on the moon, Buzz Aldrin, his heart rate right before they began the countdown was 88. Ah, it's a wonder he didn't take a nap. I, it was 88. That's why I had the hots for him, I'm telling you. But here's the thing. The only thing that marred that was, of course, Richard Nixon was the president and he got to, you know, talk to him while they're on the moon and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but stop and think. What if there'd been a disaster? What if they landed on the moon and couldn't get off? What if they crashed into the moon? What if they missed the moon altogether and went hurtling into space? What if? And we have come to know that these extraordinary tragedies do happen. So, there was a speech written for President Nixon in the event that Apollo 11 went wrong. And the guy who wrote it was the guy who wrote most of his stuff, a guy who later became a New York Times columnist, William Sapphire. And I wish I had the whole speech here, but I got little bits. First of all, Sapphire not only wrote a speech for him, but he wrote up instructions that should be taken in the event that these guys were lost. And his instruction says that the president should immediately call the widows to be. (laughs) 
Sapphire was a, a stickler for language. And he was thinking, what do I call They aren't widows because these guys are still. So he called them widows to be. The president should, first of all, call the widows to be. At a certain point, NASA would end communications with the astronauts. And he said, and then some clergyman should conduct the equivalent of a burial at sea. This speech, nobody saw until about three decades ago when somebody rummaging around in the uh, archives uh, found it. He saw it in a memo from Sapphire to Haldeman titled, In the Event of Moon Disaster. It begins like this, the speech. Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. And it ends, for every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. Oh, wait, I do have the whole thing here. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edward Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery but they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives. So the assumption then is they're not dead, they're stranded. Are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. They will be mourned by their families and friends. They will be mourned by their nation. They will be mourned by the people of the world. They will be mourned by a mother earth that dared send two of her sons into the unknown. In their exploration, they stirred the people of the world to feel as one. In their sacrifice, they bind more tightly the brotherhood of man. Others will follow and surely find their way home. Man's search will not be denied, but these men were the first, and they will remain the foremost in our hearts. It's the speech that was not given. Thank God. Lou writes, just listening to your correct evaluation of the Grapes of Wrath. By the way, that won the Pulitzer Prize uh, in literature for uh, John Steinbeck. And I recommend that movie. It is powerful as all get out. Wow. They don't make movies like that anymore. They really don't.
look at it and realize that the America we are in today has always been there in its ugliness and its exploitation of desperate, good people. In this case, actual American people. They were even white people. They were Christian people. And we treated them like we're treating these desperate people who try to come to our shores now. We stuck them in camps where there was no, not enough food, not enough shelter, not enough water. We surrounded them by guys with guns. We killed them. Let's not get too teary-eyed about our remembrances of America because this strain of ugliness and cruelty and fear and hate have always been a part of this country. We do okay when we have leaders who pull us in the right direction away from the hate away from the fear, and attempt to bring us together. Unfortunately, right now, we have this obscenity in the White House. And his only aim is to stay there, and the only way he knows how to do it is to promulgate more hate probably more violence and he could destroy us. I remember a historian once saying America has always been so lucky. In our darkest times somehow an extraordinary leader has arisen. Think of just the, the guys who wrote the foundational documents. I mean, the, the, the brain trust that just happened to be there at our founding. And then think when the nation was being pulled apart by haters, exploiters of human beings, the Confederacy. An unlikely man arose and the people wisely elected him. Abraham Lincoln brought us through that horror. Of course, was killed for it. So he wasn't there to help see us into a reunification. FDR but we are not so lucky now. Lou writes, just listening to your correct evaluation of the Graves of Bath, especially in light of today's economic inequalities, can you find an easy answer as to why young people with a life ahead of them 
are thinking about revolution. It's not wrong of them. No. No. That's why I said I, I, I feel... I feel their anger. I share their anger. I just want them to be a little wiser about getting where they want to go and that they got to be smart and realize that they're not representative of this whole country. They're not representative of all the people who will want to get rid of this obscenity of Donald Trump. I don't want to be seen as denigrating them. I think uh, they're wonderful in many ways. Ilan Omar, I think, is a bit of a, a little bit of a... I hope she can handle this. I feel for her. Little Tony says, something I learned yesterday about those three brave men, the Apollo 11, was that they chose not to return ever again. My goodness, can you imagine the courage they possessed to do what they did when so many things could have gone wrong? Um, No, I can't. Uh, I don't have, I can't, I can't. God forbid they would have had my, yeah, my heart rate, it would have been, uh, you know, my heart probably would have just exploded. Um, I want to acknowledge the death of Pittsburgh police officer Calvin Hall. And I also had wanted for the last few days to acknowledge the lack of federal charges um, against the police officer who killed Eric Garner. Black men want a cop, want a guy just selling some cigarettes on the sidewalk. Neither should be dead. No justice will bring either back. I don't know. I just I don't have words. I I don't have words. I I somebody sent me a picture that was so vile. Um I did retweet it. So if you follow me on Twitter, you can see it. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. It was three white guys smiling, happy as hell, hearing that no charges, I guess, would be filed. One's carrying a banner thanking the 
New York cops. And they're all wearing the same T-shirt. And it's the T-shirts that took my breath away. They're all wearing T-shirts that say, We can breathe. How awful a person do you have to be to mock a dying man's words? A man who had done nothing that should have resulted in his death. And they mock him. We can't breathe. Jonathan writes, you are so right about Grapes of Wrath. For those who missed it, it's free on demand. Please watch it. Wow. And on the TCM website and also on the Watch TCM app. Grapes of Wrath. Incredible. A young Henry Fonda playing the lead role. The other actors, I don't know that you would know any of them. Amazing. Amazingly well done. I think, uh, whatever. Um, and Jonathan also says, and for those who want to see Apollo 11 on the big screen, it's playing at the Parkway Theater in McKee's Rocks beginning next Wednesday. Okay. And isn't it, is it at the Science Center too, by any chance? IMAX? That'd be even better. I have no idea. And I really, really, it is incredible. It's history the way history should be taught. It's just, it really is amazing. Oh, <laughs> this is funny. I did see Anthony Scaramucci, you know, the president, the, the shortest-lived uh, 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 director of White House communications ever. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci on CNN, I think, yesterday or the day before, just flat out saying that what Trump tweeted was, <laughs> I mean, racist on it, its, its face. Um he he said, I don't think the president's a racist. No, he just, I guess, has Tourette's syndrome or something. I don't know what it is. He doesn't think Trump's a racist, but that all of a sudden these racist things just keep coming out of his mouth. But he's not a racist. So, Anthony Scaramucci went so far as to say that the words that the non-racist said were racist. And the Palm Beach, Florida... GOP disinvited him from speaking at its annual fundraising event. Here is a, 
Michael Barnett, the chair of the Palm Beach County Republican Party. Scaramucci suggested the president's comments were racist. Our board was infuriated. Oh, and get this, Barnett, who is black. (laughs) Barnett, who is a self-hating nincompoop. Barnett, who is black, went on to say that we believe the tweets were not racist, the president is not racist, and that Scaramucci's comments were unfair. (sighs) That'll teach him. Where was it being held? At Mar-a-Lago? Probably. So, um, I guess that's, is that it? Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm done. And time's up. And, and look at my mic. My mic. I love it. And remember, I don't do Fridays. So I'll I'll see you guys on Monday. Stay cool. I guess it's going to be holier, hotter than humidity hell. So drink lots of water. Stay indoors. Be good to yourselves. God help us. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or...